0: All right, kids, time to come on up. Come on up, guys. Come on up, find somewhere to sit. All right, come on over, guys. One more. Here he comes. He made it. All right. Good. All right, so we've been preaching through the book of Acts in the Bible, right? And we saw that Paul had uh, three journeys that he took, right? He's now completed those three journeys. What was he doing on those journeys? Do you remember? Preaching the gospel, yeah, preaching and strengthening the churches, right? Is that what you're going to say? Good. Yeah, he was preaching the, the gospel, strengthening the churches, And so next now, today, we're going to see that Paul wants to go back to the city of Jerusalem. All right? Do you remember what Paul was doing in the city of Jerusalem before he came to faith in Christ? Do you remember what he was doing? He was persecuting Christians, right? Yeah, he was harming those who were following Jesus. And he was making trouble for them. And so he even arrested them and put them in prison. And some he even gave approval for them to be killed because of their faith in Jesus, and so that wasn't good. But now he wants to go back to the city of Jerusalem, because now Paul is different, right? He's come to faith in Christ, and now he is following Jesus, and he's teaching about Jesus, and he's preaching the gospel. Now, do you think the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem are going to like him a whole lot for that? No, they aren't going to. They aren't going to be real thrilled about that, right? In fact, before Paul got to Jerusalem, there was a man named Agabus. Everyone say Agabus. 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 He came to Paul, and he took Paul's belt from Paul, and Agabus tied up his own hands and his feet really tight, and he told Paul, he said, this is what the Jews in Jerusalem are going to do to you. They're going to bind you up, like similar to this, and they're going to in a similar fashion, and they're going to give you over to the Gentiles. You're going to be handed over to the Gentiles. You're going to be imprisoned, and it's not going to go well for you. So Agabus came to warned Paul about that. So guess what Paul did? Do you think he ran away in fear? No, he went anyway. That's right. He said, you know, if that doesn't matter. I'm okay with that. He was still going to go. He was still going to go to Jerusalem, and even if they threw him in prison, he was ready for being imprisoned for Christ. He said he was even ready, if they wanted to kill him, he was ready to die for Jesus, right, for the sake of the Lord. Now think about that. Paul is okay going to prison, and he's okay even being killed for the sake of Lord Jesus. Why would Paul say that? It was because of his faith, right? He, because of his faith in Christ. He needed to preach, keep preaching the gospel no matter what, and he knew that if he was in prison that God would even use that for good, Right? So Paul knew that. Paul knew that if he died, he would go to heaven and be with Jesus. And so he was okay with that, too. Paul had tremendous faith in God, and so he was going to go to Jerusalem as he felt God wanted him to do. So we can learn from this that God is great, right? He is great. He is faithful, as we sang about. God watches over you. He is all-powerful, and he is in control. And so you can trust God in all circumstances. And as you come to him in faith, God will not leave you. He will not turn his back on you and leave you all alone. He is faithful and he will always be with you and sustain you. So Pastor Jeremy's going to come now and he's going to continue. He's going to continue to preach about what happens when Paul goes to the city of Jerusalem. All right. So thanks for coming up, everybody. You can go back and have a seat.
1: All right. If you turn your Bibles, please, to Acts chapter 21, Acts chapter 21, and we'll be uh, beginning in verse 15 and then through 2311. So you'll remember that the way that we're proceeding through Acts isn't how we may typically preach through a book, but I was thinking, without taking this analogy too far, that if you had a will and you had um, a novel, Moby Dick, or I don't, that's what comes to mind. I don't know why Moby Dick. I've never gotten through Moby Dick, there's just so much detail. But uh, you'd read the will differently than you'd read a novel. A will, you have to be very detailed. Every word matters. How the words relate matters. The words matter in a novel, obviously, but you want to read a lot more of a novel at once. You just don't want to put it down. And Acts is like that. So that's why I'm taking these entire sections. My, every year I read through Acts. I enjoy it. And it's one of the books in the Bible that I don't want that day's reading to end. I like to keep going. It's a good, gripping account of what's going on here. So we're taking entire accounts at a time, large sections. I read a big section, provide a few comments. Today is different than previous. Now Paul is no longer traveling uh, you know, building churches, he's at, just finished his third missionary journey. We see in 21, 1 through 14, he's on his way back from his last missionary journey to Jerusalem. <clears throat> he has heard all along the way that if he goes back to Jerusalem, he can expect suffering. And so we're going to see that. That's what we're going to see. I want you to consider what we're going to see in two ways, Jesus tells us to be as innocent as doves and as shrewd as snakes. you believe that? As innocent as doves, that is, of good conscience, not doing anything immoral, innocent, and yet live in this world as it is. You're going to deal with all kinds of snakes, all kinds of injustice, all kinds of immorality. You have to live in this world. And so you better have your eyes open. You better make use in good conscience of everything you can make use of to live well in this world. We're going to see Paul do that. <laughs> it's, it's wild what he does. And then I want you to think of that and Romans 14 or 1st Corinthians 8 where you as Christians have incredible freedom in Christ. Everything is ours. We can eat, drink, whatever we like with freedom of conscience, yet that isn't the highest principle. The highest principle is love. And there are times, for the sake of somebody else's weak conscience, for the sake of somebody else who is still bound not knowing the freedom that they have because of past life where you have to set aside your freedom in order to love them. And that those kind of situations are often very tricky and complex and how you handle them is going to be require some wisdom and patience. We're going to see that kind of thing on display here. So I want to keep those two things in mind and especially sympathy for others and their differences that you don't look down on them. And uh, so we'll see those two things in Acts. I think they'll be very helpful. Let me pray, and then we'll read a section, and we'll start with those couple of things I just mentioned. Father, you are a portion. Because this is so, we promise to keep your words. Give us grace that that might be so. Be gracious to us according to your promises. God, may we, when we walk during our days, turn our feet to your word. May we hasten and not delay to keep your commandments. May we be companions of those who fear you, of those who keep your precepts. The earth, O oh Lord, is full of your steadfast love. Teach us your statutes. In Christ's name, amen. Okay, before I read 21, 15 to 25, i got to remind you what just has happened in Acts previous to catch you up and remind you. You'll remember back in Acts chapter 10, Peter, the apostle, was hungry, waiting for food when he had a vision three times where God told him to kill and eat clean and unclean animals. There are dietary laws, particular to the old covenant people of God, that godly Jews in the Old Covenant, were required to keep. But those dietary laws related to the worship of God for the Old Covenant were always temporary. Under the Old Covenant, it was clear that that was just a shadow of something truer to come, Christ. And that when Christ came, those dietary laws, no pork, no shellfish, blah 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 would be done and we'd be free. And so Peter is right on the cusp of that change and God gives him of a vision eat. Eat and Peter's shocked. But he's told go to the Gentile who you're told and do it so Peter does it. Peter goes, preaches the gospel the Gentiles believe, and they receive the Holy Spirit. They receive the sign at that time to make it clear that the Holy Spirit had come upon them in tongues. And Peter sees that this massive change that was foretold has happened. Now that Christ has come, the substance is there. The true is there. These temporary things are gone. Now that touched off a controversy among. Christians who were previously worshipers in Judaism, Jewish Christians. Some were really mad at Peter. When Peter explained it, okay, it's it's all right. But later on, you have other Jewish Christians who are telling Gentiles that if you're going to be a true Christian, if you're really going to go to heaven, you need Jesus, but you also need to be circumcised and keep the ceremonial dietary laws. You remember that? created a huge controversy in the church, the first big fight in, among the church. So the leaders of the church came together in Jerusalem, as recorded in Acts 15, to debate this question. What has changed with Christ's coming? And they see in the Scripture, rightly, that the old covenant ceremonial dietary laws are, are, are not wrong, they're fulfilled. They're fulfilled in Christ. And now all that's required in order to go to heaven is faith in Jesus Christ. And the law that applies to believers is just the moral law. They particularly point out you can't continue on in your sexual morality. And so this question has been decided. And, and the, the figure that they look at in the Old Testament repeatedly is Abraham. Abraham. Was Abraham counted righteous before or after he was circumcised? Was Abraham counted righteous before or after the law of Moses and the dietary ceremonial laws came? Before. And so the only way to be accepted by God is by faith in Christ. And because of faith in Christ, you can now have complete freedom in regard to food and diet and so on. But, what do you do as a Christian if you're living in a place where there's thousands of Jews who have now come to Christ, but they're still weak in their conscience? They don't yet have the freedom of Gentiles who have become Christians who didn't have those restrictions. Or what do you do if you as a Christian have complete freedom to drink alcohol and you find yourself at a gathering of former alcoholics who are now Christians? What do you do? That's what we're seeing here. Paul, who realizes the freedom in Christ that he has, has traveled back to Jerusalem. And he's being lied about that he despises the law of Moses. He's telling people not to give circumcise. He's undercutting the law of God. And there he is in Jerusalem among thousands of godly Christians who are once Jews who don't have freedom yet in regards to this. That's where we're at here. Let me read 15 to 25 of chapter 21. And I want to show you this compromise of love here. After these things, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem and some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us. Bring us to the house of Nason of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we should lodge. When we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James. This is James, the brother, the half-brother of Jesus, the leader, the head of the church in Jerusalem. And all the elders were present. After greeting them, we related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. When they heard it, they glorified God. They said to him, You see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed. Here's the problem. They are all zealous for the law. Now that's not a good thing. It is and it isn't. And they have been told about you, uh, that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses. Telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you've come. Do therefore what we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Remember Samson? The Nazarite vow, that's the vow here. You Couldn't cut your hair until the vow was over. <clears throat> Take these men and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses. So that they may shave their heads, thus all will know that there is nothing in what they have been told about you, but that you yourself also live in observance of the law. But as for the Gentiles who have believed, we have sent a letter with our judgment that they should abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood, from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. Then Paul took the men and the next day purified himself along with them and went into the temple giving notice when the days of purification be fulfilled and the offering presented for each one of them. So this is a compromise. This is a compromise. This is a difficult situation. Some of us would consider that Peter, or, or that James, and now Paul along with him, are compromisers. Christ has come the law of Moses, the ceremonial dietary laws are ended now. Any observance of them at all is wrong. It's a compromise. You shouldn't do it. These Jewish Christians just need to get over it. They need a clean break from it. Stop it. That's one way you could handle this. Another way is Yes, we have complete freedom in Christ from that. It's fulfilled in Christ. And yet, we have thousands of Jewish Christians, brothers and sisters that we love, who just telling them to stop it would be so scandalous to them and so ruinous to their faith that it'd be wrong of us to stand on our freedom here in front of them, especially when we're in their hometown. And so because we have this freedom, we're free to observe their customs. And so for the sake of love, for the sake of their conscience, we're going to set aside our freedom to do so. We're going to compromise. That's what they do. So what we're dealing here with are secondary matters in the faith, important matters, but not matters that deal with how you get to heaven Unless you say that you have to keep the dietary ceremonial laws to be Christian. That's not what they're saying. And the temptation is for those with freedom to look, on, to look down on those in their weakness. The temptation is to despise them a bit. <clears throat> Now, there could be a reverse temptation. There could be a temptation among those of weak conscience to think more highly of themselves than they should. There could be a temptation among weaker Christians to use their weakness to manipulate others. You know what I mean? You have kids who can just control others in their strength, and you have kids who can control their siblings in their weakness. You have kids who can control others by pinning them to the ground, and you have kids who can control others by whining about how bad their brother or sister is. So there's danger here. So how does this apply to us? Well, let me use my example. I struggle to not look down on people who won't eat meat. (laughs) What? Yeah, especially sugar. Sugar. Ay. ay ay. That's wrong, isn't it? I'm kind of joking. It isn't like I hate them or anything like that. It's just, you know. Or oh, 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 we've been through it. Vaccines and masks and... Roger, I was thinking of you type of archer, archery equipment. Roger looks down on those of you who won't use a longbow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We have all of these differences, some of varying degrees of importance, and we are consistently in danger of pride, of thinking less of others. And, and so you see here a compromise. What I want you to consider is Yes, we do see very plainly in the scripture that those who continue in their conscience to need to observe these dietary ceremonial laws are called in Romans 14 and 1 Corinthians 8, weak. There is something wrong. They have not yet grown to the place of experiencing the freedom that we have in Christ. And that those who have that freedom are called the strong more mature. And yet, the the definition in Scripture of spiritual maturity and strength is love. You can know the Bible backwards and forwards, but if you have not love, you're a moron. You can expound great minute, mis... mis <laughs> is that wrong to say moron? I'm just paraphrasing First Corinthians 13. You can have great spiritual power, move mountains. But if you have not love, you can be very eloquent, great poet. If you have not love, you're just a noisemaker. The highest height of spiritual maturity, of spiritual strength is having sympathy for people in their weaknesses and setting aside your freedom that you have for their care. And this is one of the things I've struggled with. You've heard it in my preaching. I've had to apologize for it, that sometimes we lack sympathy for people in their differences, even though they're wrong. We want it to be very simple, very black and white, very concrete. We don't want any nuance. We don't want any gray. We don't want to think. We don't want to consider what they've been through. We lack any care, any feeling, any sympathy, and we just look down on them. And it can be in any area of our lives. James and Paul could say, just get over it. Just trust Jesus. You just lack faith. You need more faith in Jesus. That'd be true, right? it'd be so true that it's wrong. (laughs) It lacks any care, any sympathy, any affection, any love. If you want to ruin your marriage, do that. If you can't have sympathy for your spouse in their weakness, at the place where they're most vulnerable, if you have to constantly needle that vulnerability, this is something Vandergalen's excel at. And so we see the opposite here. We see the opposite here. So if you have little to no sympathy or care for others in, the, in their differences, then I, I, I would ask you just to be quiet. Just leave them be. You are disqualified from when you're involving yourself in these complex and difficult situ- situations if you lack any kind of heart care for people in their differences. Now, of course, the danger here is we live in a world that's all about the feels, that's all about setting aside truth for individual, hyper-individualistic, choosing my gender, choosing what will make me feel good. I'm not saying that. But if you can't have sympathy for somebody there, if you can't listen and (laughs) figure out why they're struggling there, you're not going to be of much use to them. And so why is your child weak there? What's going on? Why is your brother or sister at church weak there? What's happened in their life? What's happened in their week? And so they have great sympathy for these thousands of Jewish Christians that they're not required to have. And those of you who are weak in conscience, who do not have freedom because of past sin or harm, you do have to take care not to manipulate others in your weakness. That's just as much pride as dominating somebody with strength. So take care there, too. All right, let's continue on. So Paul is now in the temple. He's listening to James. He's showing the Jews that he doesn't despise them, that he's sympathetic. He's going about obeying the ceremonial law of this vow. Verse 27, When the seven days were almost completed, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, "Men of Israel, help! This is the man. This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law and this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place, for they had previously previously seen Trophimus the Then the tribune came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. He inquired who he was and what he had done. Some in the crowd were shouting one thing, some another. And as he could not learn the facts because of the uproar, he ordered him to be brought into the barracks. And when he came to the steps, he was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd. For the mob of the people followed, crying out, away with him. Okay, oh, I'm supposed to keep reading. Hold on, four more, five more. As Paul was bought, was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the tribune, may I say something to you? And he, that is the tribune, said, do you know Greek? Are you not the Egyptian then who recently stirred up a revolt and led the 4,000 men of the assassins out in the wilderness? Paul replied, I am a Jew from Tarsus in." S- uh, S- no, I can't say it. A, thank you. A citizen of no obscure city, I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. And when he had given him permission, Paul, standing on the steps, motioned his hand to the people, and when there was a great hush, he addressed them in the Hebrew language. Okay, quick. Um, I think what James and Paul, this compromise is right. This compromise of love is right, but it didn't turn out well. And sometimes the fruits are no indication of the goodness or wisdom of the decision. So that's one thing. Uh, a second thing is in Proverbs 18, 17, the one who states his, states his case first seem right until the other comes and examines him. We see the rashness again of the mob of the Jews here. Think of it like this. the one who cries out in verse 28 is kind of giving a headline the headline reads this is the man despises the law this is the man and the mob hearing this first witness just rushes in believes him without any testimony without any witness without reading the article without asking any difficult questions. They they just are emotionally engaged and on the side of the headline. Is that not our day? (laughs) Is that not you? Isn't that us? Social media, we just read a headline... And suddenly we know all about the situation and we are on that side, all in, dramatically, emotionally, and everybody else on the other side is the devil. Stuff going on in Ukraine, there was early on the story of those 13 soldiers on the island that the Russian warship said, if you don't surrender, blah, blah, blah. They said we're not surrendering in very colorful language and they all died. And it turned out that was completely fake news. Didn't happen at all. And yet, me and all of us who are rooting are like, yeah, you go! And it's totally a lie. It's propaganda. And that's the world we live in a world of propaganda. And so, you have this cohort, this Roman soldier who hears the trouble and goes to it and brings resolution. We saw something of that here recently. And so we should be more like this tribune. We should go towards problems. We should at least investigate them earlier than we think. But what we need to learn from this is we need to withhold judgment until the facts are gained and both sides are heard. This is very important to parental uh, you know, decision making. You have a kid who rushes in
0: so and so did ba 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 ba.
1: And you know typically you you get all right and you're gonna deal with it, but you don't have all the facts. And you hear the other side, it's usually enlightening. And then you have no idea what to do. And you wanna be like, pilot, what is truth? And so we need to learn this wisdom as Christians. We need to be different than the world. The church has a real opportunity to be very different than the world. To delay judgment, to get the facts, not to be headline readers, to have sympathy, to wait to hear to the other side, to be very patient, to realize that most of what you hear out there is going to be total false fake news. Praise God for Trump and that phrase. And not believe Fox News, hardly ever, because they lie now there 's more truth there than I think most other places, but they still are full of lies, and that stink, who do you trust well you 're not you 're intelligent people. Just be patient. Wait a couple days before passing judgment and reposting on Facebook with lots of emojis following it. So take care. So what happens next is Paul speaks to the people. I'm going to skip this because I love you, and I have been uh, you know, on the border of pushing your patience. Paul basically makes a defense for himself that he used to be a persecutor, but God gave him this light, this vision of Christ speaking to him. He was blinded. The scales came off, and now... He, he doesn't persecute anymore. Now he's a proclaimer of Christ. And they want to kill him for it. They want to kill him for it. What I want to do is get down to uh, 22, chapter 22, verses 22 to 30, and, or 29, and read a bit there and apply one thing and then finish it out. Up to this word, so Paul is explaining his testimony. Up to that, Paul said that I once was a persecutor. I contributed to the murder of Stephen, we were wrong, and that just enrages the crowd. They raised their voice and said, away with such a fellow from the earth, he should not be allowed to live. As they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, like they're getting ready to kill him. The tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks saying that he should be examined by flogging to find out why they were shouting against him like this. But when they stretched him out for the whips, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, Is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen uncondemned? When the centurion heard this, he went to the tribune and said to him, What are you about to do? This man is a Roman citizen. This is illegal. This is going to get them in hot water. So the tribune came and said to him, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? And he, that is Paul, said, Yes. Tribune answered, I, brought the, I bought this citizenship for a large sum. Paul said, I am a citizen by birth. That's much more, it means your family has a history of being good for the Romans. He's got some history. So those who were about to examine him withdrew from him immediately, and the tribune also was afraid, for he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen, they had bound him. All right, keep that in your mind, what Paul just did here. I want to keep going. And the next day, desiring to show the real reason why he's being accused by the Jews, He, the tribune, unbound him and commanded the chief priests and all the council to meet. So he's trying to bring some resolution. He brought Paul down and set them before them. So now Paul's back with the Jews and there's, you know, hope to breathe some resolution. Paul, looking intently at the council in 23.1, Paul said, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. And the high priest, Ananias, commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. Now when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, brothers, he's speaking to the Pharisees, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. It is respect of the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. When he had said this, the dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was the side divided. For the Sadducees say there is no resurrection, nor angel, nor spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. And a great clamor arose, and some of the scribes and Pharisees' party stood up among and and contended sharply. We find nothing wrong in this man. What if a spirit angel spoke to him? And when the dissension became violent, the tribune, afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him away from them by force and bring him to the barracks. The following night the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome." All right, Paul, all right, you think Paul is right in what he's doing here? Is he right to use his Roman citizenship to avoid a flogging? In verse 3 of chapter 23, uh, verse 5, excuse me, Paul knows that this guy is the high priest. High priest dresses like a high priest. It's like a police officer in uniform or like a judge in a robe. It's It's not mistakable. What Paul is saying there is like a police officer who is being very unjust and beating somebody. What he's saying is, yeah, you're dressed like one, but your behavior shows that you aren't really one. He's messing with words here. And then, you know, to see, he brings this issue up in order to divide them, you know, to not have this continue. He's being pretty tricky here. Three times. What do you make of that? What do you make of the midwives in Exodus 1 who lie about the Hebrew women in order to save the baby's lives, remember? What do you make of that? What do you make of Jesus before the Pharisees? Rather than answering their question saying, what do you make of John the Baptist baptism? Jesus wasn't really intent to get into a discussion on the finer points of baptism. He wanted to confuse them. He was being very shrewd. Well, I don't know how to apply this, but we live in a difficult world. We live in a world of real injustice and difficulty. And real wisdom is needed to know how to respond in certain situations. And here is Paul bringing up his Roman citizenship at a very opportune moment to avoid a flogging. There is nothing godly about suffering when you don't have to, provided you're not compromising truth. And then he kind of tongue in cheek says, yeah, I don't know he was the high priest. In effect what he's saying, yeah, he's dressed like one, but that man is corrupt. And then he brings up the issue of resurrection of the dead. Not because he cared to get into a discussion about resurrection dead to, in order to cause confusion and stop what was going on. He's very shrewd. He's innocent as a dove. He's as shrewd as a snake. Jesus tells us to make friends with unrighteous mammon. (laughs) To learn how to live in this world with a clean conscience, but making use of this world. (laughs) In good conscience. I wish I had more intelligent things to say about that. To help you more. But I think the way to look at it is you need to see this world for what it is there are people who do very wicked things and Paul's right in the middle of them. And he's keeping his head. He's, you know, seeing the field and the players who are on it and using some keen strategy here to avoid a beating and to keep them in confusion. And so... Christians live in this world with faith, keeping your heads, using wisdom. Part of me says, I wish the school district would keep going as far as they're going in all their folly. And I'd like to throw a few grenades in the middle of it and just keep them inflamed because they're doing very wicked things. And should we try to stop their wickedness? Or is it wise to just kind of encourage them on? (laughs) Which one? I don't know. So the application here is we are exhorted throughout Scripture to pray for wisdom. Wisdom is knowing how to live well with a clear conscience In this world. To know when you're supposed to answer a fool according to his folly, lest he look wine in his own eyes, and to know when you should not answer a fool according to the folly, lest you just be seen to be one just like him. And by the way, those two things are in consecutive verses. Answer a fool, do not answer a fool. How do you know which one to use? Wisdom. And so that's what this is a call to. Paul is being very wise here. And so may God give us such wisdom. Last, verse 11. The following night, the Lord, I said last twice. This is the real last. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, you must also testify in Rome. Do never neglect that the Lord is near. He's right there. The Lord stood by him. The Lord will always stand by his people. He is never far. The Lord stands by. You hear that language, right? He's he's there. He's standing by. He is protecting. He is keeping. The Lord is near you in your trouble. The Lord is with you, never to forsake you, never to leave you. And so... He is told to take courage, that is to take joy, to be of good cheer, says one translation. And so the source of your courage, the source of your joy, the source of being happy is the Lord's presence. And the Lord is always present, so we should always have good cheer, right? Yeah, because the Lord is near. Let's pray. Father, help us. These are difficult things. Needing wisdom, needing... Consideration, needing help and when to apply and when not to. Father, I pray that we would have sympathy for people in their weaknesses, that we who have strong, free consciences would bear with the differences and failings of those of weak ones, that we would not lord it over them, that we would not look down on them, that we in love would do what we can do to help them, to bear with them patiently to invite them into our lives and involve our lives in theirs, not because so that we don't show that we're too good for them. So, God, please help us there. And then, God, please help us to be innocent as doves and shrewd as snakes. Give us wisdom, your wisdom, not to transgress conscience, not to go against your word, but being of good conscience, knowing how to live in this world, in this world, for your glory, in wisdom. And so, Father, please help us. In his name. Amen. The charge is this, to as far as it is with yourself, be at peace with each other. Consider those different from you in many different areas. Some weaker of faith, some maybe stronger of faith. Welcome them. Don't quarrel. Be convinced in your own mind, but don't despise. Instead, ask God for increased affection and sympathy for those who differ with you. Stand firm in the faith. We don't compromise truth, but we do live in truth and speak truth in love, knowing that we'll give an account to God. And so we must begin with the fear of God. That's, that's, that, that, may God give us that. May the God of all hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week in the Lord, and I love you.